how many of you have ever, like, you go to the airport or you go somewhere, you're going on vacation, and you've had to carry a suitcase or something that is really, really heavy for a long distance? Anyone? Is that your idea of fun? It's not what you do on a Sunday afternoon, right? Um, There are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who travel light, and they're called men. And then there's those other kinds. Of people. Now, I know there's some, but I bet you have both kinds in your family, right? You got the light travelers and the heavy travelers? Yeah. So I was a youth minister for 19 years, and anytime we would go to youth camp or on a ski trip or whatever, every year some 13 year old boy is going to show up with everything he wants and needs in a sock. That's all he needs. I don't care how long camp is, it's all he needs. Where's your soap? I don't need soap. We want you to have soap, brother. I'll go buy you some soap, you know? I don't have a towel. I'll buy you six towels. We, we need you to have. But, you know, a 13-year-old boy, he can go a long time with just the sock. And every time I would have these parents' meetings and I would say, you may bring one suitcase and one backpack. And there was a group in my youth group every year that there was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And which group was that? The teenage girls. There's no way. And I'm like, yes, there is. I'll help you figure that out. I can throw away all kinds of stuff. First four years, we went to Haiti. <clears throat> I've been to Haiti ten times now, uh, taking the group eight. And, and uh, um, when we got to where we were staying, we are staying at M-E-B-S-H on Cote Plage. So M-E-B-S-H, you don't need to know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, means Missionary Evangelical Baptists of Southern Haiti. And they were on Cote Plage. That was the name of the street that they were on. And so when we got there, they have this huge worship center where about 3,000 people come at 6 a.m. for their first worship uh, service on Sunday mornings. And then there's this big old corridor. And then at the other end, there's three stories of buildings, right? And we're on the third floor. And so in Haiti, there are no building inspectors. So some steps are like this big and some steps are like this big. And every year, I would have probably two suitcases, mine and somebody else's maybe in my family. But I'm carrying two suitcases. And by the time, it is hot in Haiti. And by the time you get to the top of the third flight of stairs, you're sweating. There's veins bulging out of your neck. Your eyes are popping out. You look kind of crazy. And you're grateful to God. That at the end of the week, gravity is on your side because you're thinking, worst case, I'll just chunk it over. You know, it'll go back down much easier than it went up. Now, my question is, how many of you love carrying around stuff that's too heavy for you to carry, right? You choose to do that all the time? It's bad enough that we choose to carry some things that will weigh our body down, but who, who carries stuff around that crushes their soul? Who'd be dumb enough to do that? That's us. We do it all the time. Well, I was thinking this week about grudges. And, and I started thinking, how, how, could we, how could I illustrate this in a way that you could see it? If a grudge looked like something, what would it look like? And so I started thinking about, you know, who I could use as an example. And I started thinking about, okay, we could get a backpack and we can put rocks in it. Because that's a pretty good thing that it would weigh them down. And I started thinking about my good friend, John Colander. And I started thinking about... How much weight in a backpack could a man of John's advanced age and stature carry for very long? And this is what I came up with. Doesn't this look like a John Colander backpack? No. I said earlier, earlier today, knowing this was coming, I said, dude, do you know I love you? And he goes, I'm not sure. Um, 
But I started thinking about John, and, and this is it. And so then the rocks that would go in there, they're about this size, you know, they're, they're not too bad. And I'm going to pile a few of them in here and think about John. <clears throat> now, this is, this is kind of a cute backpack, isn't it? Not for John, but anyway, kind of a cute backpack. And, and this is a grudge. Or maybe this is like the junior varsity grudge, or maybe we're going to call this a grudgeette. You know, it's not a full-grown grudge yet, but it's going to be maybe someday. <coughs> Excuse me. And, then, and I want you to think about the ways we talk about grudges, because we talk about grudges much like we talk about babies. We can hold our grudge. Hey, grudge. We can carry our grudge. We can, we can put it on our shoulders, back on our shoulders, or, or, or. We nurse our grudges. I love you, grudge. I'm so glad you're with me today. What happens when you nurse something? You give it that which will not only keep it alive, but causes it to grow. And so we nurse this grudge and we, we feed it bad intentions. We feed it gossip. We feed it sometimes distortions to make ourselves look better. And what, what happens to our grudge? Oh, it doesn't stay as a grudge yet. It moves to a full-fledged grudge. This is a 65-liter backpack. Isn't that a cool backpack? When I went to Peru a few years ago, um, we hiked 27 miles over four days, and they said, you're going to want to backpack 30 liters or less, or you will not make it over, one of them is called Dead Woman's Pass. And man, by the time you get to the top, you think, I'm, I'm going to die. So I thought about what happens when we nurse our grudge, and, and we don't have little bitty rocks. We take big honking rocks, and we start putting them in there. These are the rocks that could do some damage, and we put them in the backpack, and then we carry it around. Now, this is actually pretty heavy. How long could you carry this grudge before it begins to weigh you down? I'm asking got all day. I'm asking. Not long, right? Okay. <coughs> Excuse me, that was a bad one. Otherwise, perfectly normal people will carry one of these around for weeks, months, or years. <laughs> and it doesn't bring us happiness. It's heavy. It's uncomfortable. Will not get us where we want to go. But people volunteer. I'll, t I'll carry it. I'll carry it. I'll just keep on carrying it. Waylon is here this weekend, and, and uh, they got here after dark on, on a Friday night. And it's so funny because he's like, it's dark outside. I'm, I'm glad Shay's here. Shay gave me a really, she gave me the best greeting ever. She got excited when she saw me earlier, so occasionally she gets excited. It's okay. Um, she's my friend. Um, so Waylon gets there, and it's dark outside, and he said, it's really dark outside. And I said, yes, it is. And so Rachel was going to go outside, and she was going to get the kitties and show him. She was going to surprise him, but it was dark outside, and he didn't want to. He was like, Papa, would you please hold me? And I said, you better believe it, sucker. And I pull him up, and we go over. I love holding Waylon. I love carrying him around. But who in their right mind would choose to carry one of these day after day after day? I'm going to carry it. I'm going to nurse it. I'm going to hopefully have this grudge grow twice its size by the end of the day, and then tomorrow I'll get up and do it all again. That's what we do. And if we're honest today, we've got to admit that there is something in us, some dark space in us 
that actually enjoys carrying grudges because it makes us feel a little bit superior to the person that we're holding a grudge against because we can say, can you believe what they did to me? And you can hear the righteous indignation in someone's voice who's carrying a grudge. Now, there's just a part of us that likes holding on to grudges, right? How many of us in here have held a grudge? All right, I'm just checking to make sure you're listening. I was listening to uh, John Ortberg. This is a sermon he preached years ago, like 17, 18 years ago. And God brought it to my mind, and so I was listening to it. And, and in it, he reads a newspaper article from this woman who did not understand how you could have a, um, how you could hold a grudge against family. She said, I understand getting upset, but how could you hold a grudge against family? And here's what she said. I wrote this down. She said, never let a fight become a feud. That's some good words, right? I thought, I've got to put that on the listening guide. Everybody needs to hear that. Never let a fight become a feud. And then she goes into this article about two sisters named Ann Landers and Abigail Van Buren. Now, <clears throat> that's not their actual names. You know them as Ann Landers and Dear Abby, right? How many of you read an Ann Landers column or Dear Abby? You read one of them? Uh, Dear Abby's what we got. And so here's the thing. These, these ladies each wrote for a syndicated column. On the left, her, her name is actually Epi Letterer. Epi just stands, it's a nickname. But she wrote for over 40 years an advice column that reached a readership of 90 million people. That's pretty impressive. In this day and age, there's lots of people who like to have 90 million readers or listeners. Her sister, Dear Abby, she wrote for over 30 years and had a readership of 100 million. Man, that's incredibly successful. Twin sisters who were asked more about relational advice than anyone maybe in the history of our country and they were twin sisters who did not speak to each other for years because of unresolved conflict. There's irony there. And they took it to their graves. And then they each had a daughter who took over not only their columns, but also their feud. Because sometimes a grudge gets passed on from one generation to another. Not only do I want my grudge to weigh me down and ruin my life, I want to leave it to you and my will so that it ruins your life and maybe even your grandchildren's life and your great-grandchildren's life. <laughs> Doesn't make sense, does it? It's not just family members that suffer grudges, is it? Ever had a coworker have something against you or you had something against a coworker? Um, friendships have been lost over grudges and sometimes people even attend the same church they worship the same God they listen to the same messages from God's word all while carrying a grudge an evangelist came years ago to our church and he talked about a brother who sat on this side who was a deacon of a church and his brother sat on this side deacon of the church they intentionally sat on other sides of the church and did not speak to one another for 20 years Life's too short to live like that, isn't it? Is it? Okay. Well, I want to introduce you to someone today that we're going to call the patron, patron saint of the grudge, and his name is Lamech. I want you to say that. Say Lamech. Sounds like you're clearing your throat. It's okay. Lamech. It's one time that it's okay to spit on your, the person in front of you. Lamech. All right, that's all I'll make you do. We meet him in Genesis chapter 4. He's a descendant of Cain. Remember who Cain was? Cain was the first murderer in the Bible. 
Now, after Cain murdered Abel, he began to worry that someone was going to take vengeance on him for murdering his brother. And so God puts a mark on Cain. We actually call it the mark of Cain. And the mark, we don't know what it was, but the mark was a symbol to everybody around that if anyone tries to avenge Abel's murder, they try to avenge Cain, God would bring seven times the vengeance on them for taking revenge into their own hands. God understood that these, this human race, if left to themselves, one revenge would lead to another revenge, and eventually the whole race would destroy themselves, right? So you get to Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, and here's what the Bible says. Vengeance is, what is that next word? Capital M. So who do you think is speaking? God says, it's mine. So what that means is, vengeance belongs to God. He owns it. Now we get to the New Testament. In Romans chapter 12, it says this. Never pay back evil to anyone. What's that first word? What's that first word? Never pay back evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Sometimes it doesn't depend on you. Sometimes the other person will not let um, you live at peace with them. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then look at what it says. Never take revenge. How often do you take revenge? Never take revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, and he quotes Deuteronomy 32, 5. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, in, in that verse right there, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Where does it say you have the right to get even? Nowhere. Where does it say you have the right to share with someone else? Can you believe what they did to me? I want you to watch. I want you to pull out your camera, video what I'm about to do to them because I'm going to get even. Where does it say that? Nowhere. You ever done that? Maybe not the video part, but yeah, you've done the rest. Well, Old Testament, New Testament, it says vengeance belongs to whom? To whom? To God. Well, Cain moves to the land of Nod. We don't know where Nod is, N-O-D. We don't know where it is. We just know that it was further away from the Garden of Eden than um, Adam and Eve. They had to move east of the Garden, and then Nod was even further east than that. And Cain begins to um, have children, and all of his children carry on his rebellious and sinful behavior. A couple of generations later, Lamech is born as a descendant of Cain, and we're told that Lamech married two women. Very first instance of polygamy in the Bible. In the, in the beginning, God created man and woman, one man, one woman. He intended for them to be married for a lifetime. Get to the New Testament. Some guys come to Jesus and they say, hey, is it lawful for, for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Jesus goes, no. And they said, well, how come Moses allowed? No, no, no. He said, go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created man, woman, one man, one woman for a lifetime. Lamech is the one who said, forget that rule. I'm going to have two. And then we find out that, that someone hurt Lamech, and, and we think it was a really kind of um, inconsequential hurt. It wasn't a big deal, but evidently Lamech nursed his grudge to the point that he couldn't stand it anymore, and he killed the man. And so he, he, he lives by this kind of rule that you hurt someone, that you, someone hurts you, hurt him back. And then he writes this poem in, Hebrews, uh, in the Hebrew language. It kind of was a poem, and here's what he says. Ada and Zillah, that's his wives, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. 
I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. Doesn't sound like he's kind of beating his chest and saying, I, not just a man, I killed a young man for messing with me. It's like he, roses are red, violets are blue, don't mess with me or I'll kill you too. And then look what he says. This is amazing to me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. You thought it was bad to mess with Cain? Oh, ten times worse to mess with me, buddy. Who put the mark of Cain on Cain? God did. Thank you. Who put the mark of Lamech on Lamech? Lamech did. I don't have to fear that. And, and by the way, how many times did he say someone would be avenged if they jacked with Lamech? Seventy-seven times. That's what bitterness does. There's never a point for a bitter, grudge-holding person where they say, oh, okay, they've had enough. I think they need mercy now because bitterness wants to keep piling it on, piling it on because you deserve it. Now, why does he boast to his wives like this? Anybody got an idea? How many of you are or ever have been married? How many of you are or ever have had conflict in the marriage? Yes. Would it intimidate you if your spouse said, I killed a man for jacking with me. What was it you wanted to argue about? I mean, seriously. I think it was intimidation. This dude was full of himself. And then Jesus comes along and he tells really religious people who have never dirtied their hands really with work, but they certainly haven't killed someone physically. And Jesus said, there's a lot of ways to murder people. You can murder their reputation. You can, you can murder your children's hope. He tells these religious guys, you, you, can be, you can murder people with your gossip. You can be bitter. <laughs> when uh, Janie and I first got married, <clears throat> they tell you that babies of the family should not get married. I'm the youngest of four. She's the youngest of three. Two babies got married. And my brother, actually, who did the wedding, said, you sure you need to marry a baby of family? I said, she's beautiful. Why? Yeah, what's that? Yeah. Well, we had some conflict early on in our marriage. And part of it had to do with both of us were very, very selfish. I, was, I, was, I won that contest. I was much more selfish than Janie. I know y'all have a hard time believing that. And, and if I did something, now at, at that time, if, I, if my feelings were hurt, I didn't even know that you were supposed to have feelings if you were a man, much less ever admit that. So it was probably 10 or 12 years into our marriage before I even said I had feelings because she'd say, did I hurt your feelings? No. <laughs> you know. She's so much smarter than I am. She knew what was going on. But what would happen is if, if I did something, let's say I did something and she either didn't recognize it or she thought I did it with the wrong motive, I would say, well, you know what? I'll never do it again. Let me, let me make you aware. I may have done it once, but I will never do it again. And I was using my words to hurt my wife. Because my feelings were hurt. And I'd nursed this grudge to where, how dare you not acknowledge what I did? And in the eyes of God, I was a man about this tall. And one time we were talking and, and she said, every time you say those words, it's like you take a knife and you stab me in the heart. And I said, oh, that is not what I want to do. I don't, I, that's not who who God has called me to be, and, and I ask for her forgiveness. And now, now we actually, she says it, something will happen, and she'll go, well, I guess you won't do that again. And I'm like, ha, 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 yeah. 
Thanks for reminding me, baby. And you may be saying, well, I'm no Lamech. I didn't kill somebody. Well, that's true, but you've murdered a reputation. You've gossiped about someone. And you cannot engage in that type of behavior and not have it spread to your heart and affect everything else. Because here's what, we did a whole series on enemies of the heart a couple years ago on Proverbs 4.23, and here's what it says. Above all else, number one on your priority list is to guard your heart. Why? Because everything you do flows from it. Your words, your attitudes, your actions come from your heart. And what does God want more than anything else from you? Your heart. You have to guard it. Do not let bitterness get a root in your heart. Jesus says there's another way. And and he says instead of holding grudges, instead of taking vengeance, he says you can forgive. And we're going, really? That's what you're telling us to do, Jesus? And so Peter one day comes up to Jesus. And he's probably been hurt by someone. And we don't know any of the details, but we know it probably been hurt more than once. And Peter says, how many times do I have to forgive this guy? And before Jesus can answer, he answers himself and says, seven Now, in that day, the rabbi said, you just got to forgive somebody three times and then they're out. I mean, you just write them off. And Peter's going, I'm going to double that and add one. That's a pretty good deal. Now, let me give you the setting of this. Now, first of all, you have to realize he said to Jesus, the guy who's about to go to the cross and be nailed on a cross because of the grudges of others who on the cross says, Father, forgive these people who put me on here because of their grudges because they don't even know what they're doing. That's who Peter says, Seven times? I've got to go back seven times? Now, let me give you the setting of this because there's a lot of scholars that believe this is what's going on. So in, in, in uh, Israel, they have their, their uh, New Year's Day is Rosh Hoshana. That's the, that's the New Year. And this year it happens to fall on September 29th. So when, when it gets dark on September 29th, they celebrate for two days until it gets uh, dark on October 1st. That was the, the new year for them. And they, this was a party. It was a great time. And then there were 10 days later that the, they would celebrate the Day of Atonement. Most holy day in the Jewish calendar, Day of Atonement. It, it symbolized when you could come before God and your sins would be forgiven. All of the sins for the previous year. They would offer these sacrifices. They would take some of the blood of the sacrifices. They would sprinkle it over the people. Symbolically, because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So the Day of Atonement, this big awesome day where I get right with God. He forgives my sins, and it's awesome. Now, the days in between Rosh Hashanah and the Day of Atonement is called the Days of Awe, A-W-E. And some scholars believe that Jesus was talking about all of this during the Days of Awe. He'd been talking about forgiveness and what you need to do during the 10 days getting ready for the Day of Atonement because they believed no human being should ever, ever come into the presence of God with a rock. Can you imagine if we, if we practiced getting rid of our grudges every week before we came into the presence of God? How the spirit of the living God would dominate this place and how people would rush to get here. Because they say there must be a God because those people don't hold grudges down there. The rabbis actually taught this in Jesus' day. For sins that are between a person and God, the Day of Atonement brings forgiveness. But for sins that are between a person and his or her neighbor, the Day of Atonement brings forgiveness only if one has first sought to reconcile with one's neighbors. 
the highest priority for the Day of Atonement was you better get rid of bitterness. Don't you dare come into the presence of God. So for 10 days, the day of all, days of all, they would spend that time reconciling with people before they ever walked into the presence of God to be forgiven for their sins. Now, there's a good chance that Peter had been carrying a stone around and he'd heard Jesus teach all of this stuff during this 10 days. It's on everybody's mind. So Peter thinks, hey, this one guy, he's dinged me. He's dinged me more than once. Why do I have to initiate forgiveness with him? Shouldn't he have to come to me? How many times do I have to forgive this punk? Seven? You know what Jesus told him? Not seven times. How many times? 77 times. Where did Jesus get that number? Did he just pull it out of thin air? He's going all the way back to Genesis 4, and he's reversing the law of Lamech. This is not how it's going to be anymore in the kingdom of God. He said, Pete, you've got a choice to make. You can follow the law of Lamech, or you can follow me, but you can't do both. <laughs> he says, if you want to follow me, Pete, you've got to put down that stone. So here's the law of Jesus. The law of Jesus says you can't follow Jesus and carry a grudge at the same time. Now, I'm not saying you can't be a Christian and hold a grudge. Peter was, was a follower of Christ. He was an apostle of Christ, but he's carrying a grudge. What I'm saying is you cannot be in close proximity with Jesus Christ while carrying a grudge. You cannot follow him. If he says go this way and you're carrying a grudge, your grudge is holding you back from being where, God, where Jesus wants you to be. You can't hold a grudge and follow Jesus at the same time. You can carry a grudge or you can follow me. You cannot do both. And then Jesus tells this story to drive home his point. He talks about an accountant that, that was cooking the books and stole a massive amount of money from his boss. And that never happens in our day, but occasionally in Jesus' day, it happened. The master of this story forgives his employee a massive amount of debt. So, uh, you know, crowd participation. I know where we are in the, in the time frame. So I need you to say, how massive? So hang on. The master in this story forgives his employee a massive amount of debt. Thanks for playing along. I'm glad you asked. The amount of debt that he forgave was greater than the amount of taxes the entire nation of Israel had to pay to Rome in one year. Now, you may not like taxes, but how can, how can you afford to pay the taxes of the entire nation of America? Anyone want to volunteer for that job? That's how much, that's how massive the debt was that this guy forgave. And when it all goes down, the employee comes before his master. He knows he's guilty, he falls down. He begs for mercy, and the master says, not only will I not send you to jail, because they could send someone to jail who didn't pay their debts. But he said, I will forgive you your Mount Everest-sized debt. Wow. Now, a debt like that doesn't just disappear. Somebody has to take the hit for that money not coming back in. Who takes the hit in the story? The master, the boss. Now, the employee immediately goes out and he finds somebody who owes him pocket change. And you would expect Mount Everest debt guy to have mercy on pocket change debt guy. Because pocket change debt guy does exactly what Mount Everest debt guy did. He falls down and begs for mercy and says, I will pay you back. Mount Everest debt guy picks up pocket change guy by the throat and he says, I am throwing you into prison until you pay back every cent you owe. Because you could do that in those days for people who didn't pay. And when the master heard what happened, he calls in Mount Everest debt guy. 
Round two was very, very different than round one. Here's what it says in Matthew 18. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? What, what answer should... Answer that question for me. Shouldn't... Let me ask it. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Yes. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed because you could do that in those days. And then Jesus makes this application. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you. Unless you put down that debt. Unless you put down that rock, that stone that you want to destroy someone with. My heavenly Father will treat you the same way. Unless. Unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart can you believe that there are Christians who live like Jesus didn't say this can you believe that either that or they they think maybe Jesus didn't really say it and somebody just kind of put it in there he didn't really say that did he let's back up to Matthew chapter 6 you remember um, the Lord's prayer our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This is the model prayer. Jesus was teaching them how to pray. And then when he finishes all of that, he says these words in Matthew six fourteen. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. He says, if you're walking around carrying a grudge, nursing a grudge, you're in severe spiritual risk from your heavenly Father. And the only way that I can hold a grudge against you, the only way I can throw stones at you, the only way I can murder your reputation with my mouth is for me to forget that I'm the Mount Everest debt guy in Jesus' story. And the only way you can murder me with your words is for you to forget you're the Mount Everest debt guy or you're the Mount Everest debt girl in Jesus' story. You've taken your eyes off of the cross. I can't mentally choke someone with my bitterness unless I lose sight of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. Now, I've got a couple of pictures here. What do you see first when you see this picture? Stain, right? There's a lot of white there, but what do you see? Okay, next picture. What do you see? I see Stain, and I love the look on the boy's face. He's like, oh, no. I don't think he's worried about the food. I think he's worried about mama, right? But he's stained, right? Here's another one. What do you see first? They're all stained, and what do you see? You see the stain. I uh, was listening to John Ortberg, and he said on his, he had a double date. It was a blind date where he actually eventually marries this woman, but he, he's meeting her on this date, and he did not know they were going to a barbecue restaurant. And he loves ribs, and so without thinking about making an impression on this woman that he's, he's on the blind date with, he's thinking about ribs. So he picks up the first rib and immediately drops it, and he said it rolled all the way down his white shirt, down his leg, onto the floor. So he picks it up and sets it aside. He promptly picks up another rib, drops it. It goes all the way down his white shirt to the floor. Picks it up, puts it to the side, takes the third rib, 
and just begins to rub it all over himself. Now, that's a funny story now, and they tell it as this was our first date. But the only way I can abuse you with my words, with my grudge, is for me to, to forget that I'm sin-stained. The Bible says all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before him. And people that recognize their stain, they don't worry about one or two stains of someone else. They worry about their own stains. God gives grace to the humble. He opposes proud people. And proud people say, my stains aren't as bad as your stains. People that see Jesus don't worry about your stains. They worry about their own. So the only safe place to put your grudge at or your full-grown grudge is at the foot of the cross. You leave them there. Why? Because what did we say earlier? If something belongs to God, that means it's not mine. And if you're carrying one of these around, you have something that doesn't belong to you. What's the big deal? You don't forgive, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Let's pray together. God, forgive me when, when I have the audacity to throw stones at another human being created in your image. And when I hold a grudge and I dare walk up into this pulpit to sing praises to you or to open up your word, Father, forgive us because we have sinned. Some of us have sinned today by bringing a grudge into this room and pretending we can worship you and hold a grudge at the same time. Forgive us, God, because some of us didn't know now we do. Cleanse us and purify us in the name of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.